Archbishop, Your Excellences, Distinguished Guests, Ladies and Gentlemen, welcome to this year's Byron Theodoropoulos Lecture on Greek Foreign Policy. Byron Theodoropoulos has been the doyen of Greek diplomacy for many years, and it is right that we name this lecture after him. He first joined the Greek Ministry of Foreign Affairs in 1946. The following year, he was one of the first to join the Greek staff at the new United Nations. In the following decades, Viron Theodoropoulos was involved in all the key decisions in all the key areas of Greek foreign policy. Turkey, Cyprus, accession to the then European community, he has been at the centre of each of these policy issues. He's also written extensively on Greek foreign policy. We are delighted that he can be with us here tonight. And I would ask you, ladies and gentlemen, to please join me in welcoming Ambassador and Mrs. Theodoropoulos. Now, I know that the Ambassador is very pleased, as are we, that Mrs. Bakoyanis is here to give the second lecture in this series. By any reasonable judgment, Dora Bakoyanis is a remarkable woman. She has succeeded in a traditionally male-dominated culture. She was, as many of you know, the first woman mayor of Athens, and she's the first woman ever to serve as foreign minister of Greece. Indeed, no other woman has held such a high-level position in the Greek government. In 2005, she was voted world mayor in an international survey. And in recent years, she has consistently been one of the most popular politicians in Greece. Yet Mrs. Bakianis has experienced much tragedy in her personal life. She entered frontline politics after her first husband was murdered by the November 17 terrorist group. Some years later, she herself survived an assassination attempt. Alongside these terrible events, she has maintained her warm personality and public spirit, a true sign of her strength of character. Now, it's sometimes said that Mrs. Bakayanis and Prime Minister Karaman Lees do not share many things in common. Pause for effect. <laughs> Yet I know that they do share one very interesting thing, very important thing in common. They both started their student lives studying political science. And as a professor of political science, I applaud all students who then go on to practice their professional craft. <laughs> it almost makes us seem relevant. Now, as some of you are aware, Mrs. Bakianis has spoken at the LSE before, in 2004, just weeks after the hugely successful Athens Olympics, she gave the London Hellenic Society lecture in this very theatre. Now, at the time, and I haven't mentioned this to Mrs. Bakianis, but at the time, I remember being told that the Mayor of London, Ken Livingstone, asked if you might join her on stage to talk about London's bid to secure the 2012 Olympic Games for London. 
And with my usual predictive ability, my usual foresight, I said, no, not at all. Uh, it was an entirely unrealistic uh, that uh, London might be awarded the Olympic Games uh, and it would be a, a distraction for the evening. Uh, so please tell Mayor Livingstone that he would not be invited to speak on that occasion. Whoops. <laughs> anyway, like me, uh, you'll remember all of the reports in the British media in the run-up to the Athens Games of 2004. I'm tempted to suggest that it's now the time for our Greek friends to copy what we might call British arrogance and question whether, whether the UK is really up to hosting the Olympics. I mean, can the Brits deliver the Olympics on time? Now, some of you may have noticed that Mrs. Bakayanis will also be speaking in Oxford tomorrow. It was the same, in fact, with Mr. Sumitis two weeks ago. Tipai, he's seen in Oxford. Then talk to Isos potimun to horio. Tin ipahia. A miss potimume tin poli. Ya pragmatica logus. It's okay, I checked in advance. There aren't many Oxford graduates in the audience. <laughs> anyway, we are enormously grateful that the Minister chose to speak at the LSE first. <laughs> you may also have seen a report in the Torvima newspaper just yesterday, uh, which noted that our two previous Greek speakers here at the LSE have been Mr. Sumitis and Mr. Caravan Lees one former Prime Minister, one the current Prime Minister. I was very interested to see that Torvima commented that the, the very fact that Mrs. Bakayanis was speaking at the LSE after them actually indicated that she had her own Prime Ministerial ambitions. <laughs> now, I don't wish to comment here on any such ambitions or opportunities. I simply point out that the LSE can produce prime ministers, we can't actually arrange prime ministers. <laughs> and it would be tempting, but of course foolish for me to mention, uh, that the article in Tovima um, mentioned the LSE, but uh, surprisingly made no reference to Oxford in that article. Let's see, that's life. Now, an evening like this requires lots of preparation and, or, and organization. Let me just change the tone momentarily. There's a lot of preparation and organization that goes into a lecture such as this. And on your behalf, I'd like to thank the team that we have in the Hellenic Observatory for all of their hard work in making this event possible. They do a great job, and they deserve your applause. So, now without any further ado, let's begin tonight's lecture. Please join me in welcoming the Foreign Minister of Greece, Mrs. Dora Bakoyani.
people before I start my lecture, let me thank you very much, Professor Featherstone. I know now that modesty is the strong point of LSE. <laughs> and as I have never been an LSE student, um, I must say that uh, I feel uh, with a lot of track in front of Ambassador Theodoropoulos, first of all, and uh, all of you tonight. And uh, it is a real great pleasure to be here. I would like to thank the staff of the Hellenic Observatory and particularly Professor Kevin Featherstone for extending me the kind invitation to address this distinguished audience. Through its innovative research, academic work, and comprehensive policy analysis, the Hellenic Observatory stimulates constructive debate, adding significant value to the public dialogue on modern Greece's challenges. It is only fitting that the observatory is built around the Eleftherios Venizelos Chair of Contemporary Greek Studies and is, to a great extent, inspired by his ideals. Venizelos, Greece's greatest statesman, a personal friend of Lloyd George and a man who understood the British well, had the historic privilege to have been quoted by Winston Churchill himself in one of his most famous and eloquent speeches. In 1942, Churchill stated, and I quote, the late Mr. Venizelos observed that in all her wars, England, he should have said Britain, I suppose, always wins one battle, the last. <laughs> Both Churchill and Venizelos were proven right, of course. This is a key lesson learned for Greek foreign policy. Our two countries share a long common trajectory of political, strategic, and ideological kinship. Over the course of the 20th century, Greece and the United Kingdom have cherished the same ideals and fought the same wars, defending freedom in the seas of the world, in the Balkan mountains, and in the deserts of Africa. We are friends, we are allies, we are partners. Moreover, given Greece's geostrategic position, regional influence, political and economical stability, this is quite a valuable relationship. Trade and our mutual love of the sea brings us even closer. Today, we work in partnership in an effort to face many major global challenges. We are united in the fight against terrorism in its multitude of forms. At times, we may approach this battle in a different manner, yet ultimately, we share the same goal, the right to live free of fear. Ladies and gentlemen, classical values form the basis of the Enlightenment. Many of our modern world's principles and values derive their inspiration from them. Freedom and democracy, critical thought, the Aristotelian notion of moderation. This is a true human-centered approach. It is not a coincidence that higher institutions of learning can trace their origins to such noble ideas, even transcending intellectualism per se. From Plato's Academy to your own London School of Economics, intellectual establishments come to address dire needs and greater wants. We live, ladies and gentlemen, in a tough, 
and maybe cynical world. Our values, however, still lie at the heart of our policies, and this is a conscious choice. Greece, within its means, extends a helping hand across the four corners of the world. Our aim is to be consistent, efficient, and effective. To this end, we have identified 19 countries for priority development assistance. We also offer humanitarian assistance to the best of our ability wherever there is a need. I was particularly proud of this government's swift mobilization in response to the tsunami, or when in the summer of 2006 Greek vessels sailed first into Lebanese ports, delivering aid and evacuating close to 3,000 nationals from 54 countries. In this spirit tonight, I would like to focus on three areas of particular interest for Greek foreign policy. First, our support for the integration of Southeastern Europe in the European family. Second, the quest for peace and stability in the Middle East. Third, climate change and the need for an international collective effort. Dear students, your curriculum includes international negotiation and conflict resolution seminars. Can you think of a better example of conflict prevention than the one that has taken place in Europe since the Second World War? The European Union has successfully tied former enemies together in strong bonds of shared interests. The European Union has made the first half of the last century look even more distant than it actually is. I have said it before and I will say it again. For most, if not all, the prospect of membership in the European Union has acted as a great stimulant for change. It has encouraged and supported governments in the long and difficult road towards a free market economy and democracy. The values diversity, respects minority, encourages differences of opinion and accepts criticism of government policies. It is in this light that Greece has strongly supported the integration of the whole Southeast Europe into the European family. Our overall political direction is based on a very simple principle. If we are to have peace and prosperity on the continent, European integration cannot be fragmented. We believe the new Europe that is being born will be even richer, stronger and more enduring if it includes the whole southeastern Europe. We made this policy a cornerstone of our European Council presidency back in 2003. We supported the EU's so-called Big Bang enlargement to include 10 new member states and the Treaty of Accession was signed in Athens. At the beginning of the year, we were happy to welcome Bulgaria and Romania in the European Union. We encouraged the candidacy of Croatia and Turkey. It is important to stress the region's European perspective Although the region is not boiling, as it was in the 90s, it is certainly simmering. 
At the heart of the European continent, Kosovo's stability concerns us all. This is a European problem that demands a European answer. The day after, any day after, will find Kosovo's future linked to that of the European Union. Two points need to be raised in our opinion. First, time is always a factor. However, we should not jeopardize the chances of a viable and functional settlement for the sake of meeting a preset arbitrary deadline. We must not be carried away by artificial tight schedules. Second, multilateralism is the name of the game. Any unilateral initiatives could weaken international legitimization and threaten stability in the long term. At this moment, the Troika is doing its best to arrive at a solution both sides can live with. The international community must encourage everyone concerned to enter the talks in good faith and with an open mind. We need clarity, clarity of thought and clarity of purpose. Turning to Serbia, I believe everyone agrees that this is a crucial country for stability in the Balkans. No Balkan equilibrium can ignore Serbia. Serbia's enhanced European perspective is the only vehicle for Belgrade to overcome the burden of the past. And let me give you a personal thought. Many of us in Europe have known John Tess. We cannot ask a democracy and a young one at that to pay for the sins of a dictatorship. This is going to be a difficult winter for Serbia and the Western Balkans. Our purpose should be twofold. On the one hand, it is clear that it, we would like to see concrete results when it comes to bringing the suspected war criminals to justice. On the other hand, we must keep Serbia on the European track by signing the Stabilization and Association Agreement and thus upgrading its relations with the EU as soon as possible, and by as soon as possible, I mean before the end of the year. Ladies and gentlemen, there is one lesson that we have learned in the Balkans. We have to face our problems head on. Shoving concerns, issues or questions under the carpet is never an answer. There is too much history for us to bear even under normal circumstances. When it comes to the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, our neighbor to the north, Greece has repeatedly showed its goodwill and eagerness to support Fyrom, both politically and economically. We have spared no effort to respond to the country's quest for economic growth and stability. Suffice to say that Greek investment have reached 1 billion euros. As I'm sure most of you know, Greece has a real and concrete concerns over our neighbor's name. Geographically, Macedonia is a wider region, more than 50% of which belongs to Greece. There are today more than 2.5 million Greeks 
who consider themselves proud Macedonians. Kostas Karamanlis is one of them. There are today Skopje's attempt to construct a pan-Macedonian theory to support their identity and their, and their cradle of provocative actions are an anachronism. They use the language of the 19th century and hope to be understood in the 21st. Yet, we cannot build the future on the feet of clay. Let me be absolutely clear. This is neither a psychological nor an emotional issue. It is a question of good neighborly relations. It is a question of regional stability, and we cannot let this question hover. Under the UN auspices, Greece has come to the table with a clear objective, a mutually acceptable composite solution that makes the mark. This reflects the letter and the spirit of the UN Security Council and General Assembly resolutions and of the 1995 Interim Accord. We have engaged in this process with an open mind. Greece has shown its goodwill. Our friends in Skopje must also cover ground, however. No military alliance or intimate partnership can be formed between countries if it is not based on mutual trust and good neighborly relations. Skopje has but one route to NATO and to the European Union, the route of a mutually acceptable solution. Dear friends, the road to Europe is rewarding, yet long, demanding, and oftentimes difficult. Greece supports Turkish European orientation. Greece is among the most steadfast supporters of Turkish accession to the European Union. Turkish European perspective is conduct conducive to regional peace, stability and prosperity. Nevertheless, Turkey must show in practice that it can conform to the institutional, political and economic acquis of the European Union. There is no Europe a la carte. Our message is clear. Full compliance should lead to full membership in Turkey. Our bilateral relations have followed a new path of rapprochement in the last few years. Cooperation between our two countries covers a wide spectrum of fields and is steadily expanding. Such cooperation naturally helps improve the political climate between the two countries. Unfortunately, Turkish military activity in the Aegean remains a cause of serious concern for us and hinders our efforts. At the same time, Turkey must comprehend that the implementation of the acquis standards plays a pivotal role in integration negotiations. As you all know, freedom of religion is the hallmark of EU values. The outcome of democratic impulse. Consequently, we are constantly disappointed by Turkish authorities' denial to accredit the ecumenical patriarch, the spiritual leader 
of more than 300 million Christians across the globe. Another issue that puts in question the country's positive disposition towards religious tolerance is Turkey's unwillingness to reopen the Halki Seminary. I should stress that this would be primarily to the benefit of Turkey itself. It could serve as a shining example of Turkey's moderation and compliance with EU criteria, thereby enhancing its own perspective and international standing. The Cyprus issue is naturally linked to our relations with Turkey, yet it retains, of course, a strong independent character. At this moment, we are dealing with a sad paradox. A member state of the European Union is occupied by a candidate for accession. Our government remains steadfastly committed to reaching a just and viable solution for the reunification of Cyprus. Partition is not, and I repeat, not an option. These principles that must guide us is seeking a, the principles that must guide us is seeking a fair, functional and viable solution are clear. Consideration of the work done in the UN, international law and all the relevant Security Council resolutions. Last but not least, the acquis communautaire. We cannot overlook the fact that Cyprus is now a full member of the European Union and that both Greek and Turkish Cypriots must function within the European Union framework. Ladies and gentlemen, being the most turbulent corner of our globe, Middle East has lost its semantics. Once cherished as crossroads of flourishing civilizations, the Middle East has now become a battlefield of unprecedented malice. Our strong ties with the people of the southeastern Mediterranean have made peace and stability in that region a priority for Greece. All issues in the Middle East and the wider area as far as Afghanistan are closely interrelated. All actors in the Middle East are influenced by one another. Simply said, there is no way of permanently solving an issue in the Middle East while ignoring another. This is why we need an integrated strategy that would involve all actors in the region as well as the international community. The Arab-Israeli conflict is of course at the heart of the Middle Eastern problem. Its parameters span beyond the two territories confines and fuel tension in the wider area. Greece supports the two-state solution to the Palestinian issue, and to this end, we see with confidence the current process of direct talks. At the same time, we spare no effort in rekindling international concern. Indeed, during our presidency of the UN Security Council in September 2006, a special Security Council meeting at the level of foreign ministers the first after 20 years took place. We hope that the forthcoming Annapolis meeting, all parties will work towards mutual understanding and cooperation. We support the unity and territorial integrity of Lebanon. We also support Lebanon's democratic forces. 
I hope that the President of the Republic will be elected and that the constitutional stalemate will be overcome. Lebanon can be once again a model of peaceful coexistence between different religious communities. But to fully develop and prosper, Lebanon must have the means to exercise full sovereignty on its territory. Last but not least, gradual reasoning and patient attitude are also in demand for managing Iran's nuclear power. EU has repeatedly stated that nuclear technology employed for peaceful means poses no threat. However, nuclear weapons are a direct threat for regional stability and cannot be tolerated. We have engaged Iran in dialogue in search of a diplomatic solution and the EU must spare no effort of mediation. At the end of the day, the gap between Iran and the international community must be bridged. We do not have the room to fail. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to turn now to a subject that is close to my heart. As UN Secretary General Mr. Ban Ki-moon suggested regarding the situation in Darfur, climate change exasperates conflicts. As a consequence of climate change, land and water resources will become all the more scarce. Agricultural production will be gradually reduced, as will drinking water. Pre-existing conflicts, poverty, unequal access to resources, weak institutions, food insecurity, and the appearance of infectious diseases due to temperature increase are likely to have a significant impact on the peace and security of the world. We need a bottom-up approach. Overabundance has carried with it a series of byproducts which irrevocably threaten our planet and our societies. It is time for a shift in lifestyles. At the same time, there is a demand for a new role for governments. Governments must create incentives and counter-incentives for individuals and businesses in order to enhance and promote environmental consciousness. Within the European Union, we have tried to combine protecting the environment with continuing economic growth, and this is no small challenge. We have come a long way, and the decision of the Union to unilaterally establish new minimum emission targets to facilitate the post-Kyoto negotiations is paving the way for a brave response by the whole world developing and developed in the talks to come. Mitigation itself, though, is not enough and adaptation goes beyond local or national necessity. The international community is responsible towards the least developed countries, such as small island states, countries that are the least to blame for climate change, yet bear the consequences. People living in vulnerable regions in fragile economic, social, and environmental conditions and lack the adaptive capacity to respond to the perils of climate change. This is why Greece, having the chairmanship of the Human Security Network this year, decided to focus on the effects of climate change on human security in vulnerable regions and for vulnerable groups of people, especially women, 
children and those forced to flee their homes due to natural disasters. This is why we believe that development assistance should be revisited and replanned so as to take into consideration the impacts of climate change in least developed countries. This is why we join our voice with those arguing that climate change threats make the Millennium Development Goals all the more difficult to attain and urgent mobilization of all our efforts is called for. Ladies and gentlemen, this is, of course, the annual Viron Theodoropoulos Lecture. The Ambassador is with us this evening. Ambassador Theodoropoulos, political and diplomatic acumen is, I think, well known. His Foreign Service career was a meaningful at his writing, as his writings. Now, I'm sure, the Ambassador will agree that we can draw useful lessons from the past. I was always struck by the fact that during his exile, Venizelos chose to occupy himself by translating Thucydides from ancient to modern Greek. In this translation, one can find an excellent definition of civic duty. In his famous funeral oration, Pericles declared, for we alone, he stated, regard the man who takes no part in public affairs, not as one who minds his own business, but as a good for nothing. We Athenians, Pericles continued, decide public questions for ourselves, or at least endeavor to arrive at a sound understanding of them in the belief that it is not debate that is a hindrance to action, but rather not to be instructed by debate before the time comes for action. I do not re repeat these words today simply as a proud former mayor of Athens. These are words that echo through the ages and are still relevant today. They form a belief that always finds ways to turn into a cause, a belief that fuels movements of change. And as Winston Churchill once said, all great things are simple and many can be expressed by single words, freedom, justice, honor, duty, mercy, hope. These are our common values. These are our soft power. And I'm proud that I have talked tonight to real polites. Thank you very much. I think you can judge, Minister, by the warmth of the response that uh, we all felt that was uh, most interesting, stimulating, indeed a tour de force. So thank you for this. <laughs> We now have uh, opportunities for questions and answers. And joining, uh, following the usual format, what I'm going to suggest is that we take several questions and then you answer them in, in groups, if I may. There is a... Okay, we have the gentleman at the back, please. There are people with microphones to bring them to you. Could you uh, keep it as a question? Could you okay, please uh, identify yourself first of all? 
Okay. Igor Mitsovsky, uh, BBC. Uh, you have stated uh, that uh, you have actually quoted uh, the interim agreement from 1995, uh, but in the same time you said that uh, you, you gave symptoms that uh, Greece could block Macedonians' entrance to, to NATO. But in the same time, in that same agreement from 1995, there's a separate clause that says that the, both of the countries could not block each other in the international in the interests of the international community. So aren't you contradicting yourself? Thank you. Uh, other questions? Uh, please, the gentleman right at the very back. Hello, Ms. Bakoyani. Welcome to London. My name is Dimitrios Kapotan. I'm up here. Could you uh, hold the microphone just away from your mouth? And yeah, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Greece is trying to deal with our, as we call it, national Where problems. Ah. I'm here. Up here. Sorry. Up there. Ah, there Hello. <laughs> Greece is trying to deal with all these national problems like the Cypriot question, referring to international organizations like the UN or European Union. But we see that uh, the United States is involved with that. Greece is trying to uh, <coughs> deal the problems with Turkey. The U.S. is involved in that. Greece is trying to deal with a name issue in the uh, forum. U.S. is involved in that. Why U.S. is involved in these kind of things that theoretically is not your business, you know? Thanks. Uh, the gentleman uh, here in the dark coat. Foreign Minister, welcome to London. I'm Pericles Grambas, and I work for Deutsche Welle, Greek program. Um, one question, really. Many British people, many of them friends of Greece, ask repeatedly, why does Athens seem to have a problem? Uh, or rather, why does Greece, a long-established NATO, an EU member, a long-established prosperous democracy, why does it seem to have a problem with a smaller neighbor? north of its border, basically calling themselves whatever they please. Thank you. Okay, can we take one more? Yeah, no, that's okay. Okay. Uh, the lady in the centre, please. There will be an opportunity for later questions, I'm sure. Um, thank you, Mrs. Bakyogani. My name is Katerina Mastronicola. I work for Citigroup. Um, I wanted um, to ask you, uh, you spoke very well and eloquently and uh, very informatively about Greece and Europe and its neighbours. Um, how does Greece's relationship with the United States stand, given its options in Europe and its relations with its neighbours? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Let me start by the interim agreement. The interim agreement is an agreement which was signed uh, both by Greece and uh, by FIROM. The interim agreement does not contain only one article. It contains many articles. One of the main articles uh, is an article which says that both countries will sit down and negotiate for a name for this republic. And there is another article which says that you don't uh, uh, follow irredentist policies, etc., and that a uh, lot of changes will take place, no provocations, good neighborly relations, etc. So there are many articles in this interim agreement. And this interim agreement exists because we agreed with Skopje that we have to sit down and negotiate a name. And we have been doing this for s nearly 17 years now. 
And there was always a good will from Greece. And there still is. What we have, uh, we are under uh, uh, negotiations now again. There was no statement made by the Greek government about these negotiations. We want to find a solution. We want to find a solution with the name. It is very clear that I told you before that Macedonia is a great, a big geographical area. Skopje has one part of Macedonia. This must have to be clear. Because unfortunately, these kind of ideas which come up for years and again and again are small poisonous ideas which should not be left existing in the Balkans. We have to uh, work together as good neighbors. So there must be an, a distinction between the uh, Skopje's uh, uh, Macedonian part and the others. That's all. And we have to see through the future and we have to look in solving these problems. And what I honestly, I believe that if you are a country and you sign an agreement and you have two UN Security Council resolutions and you have one General Assembly resolution and you admit that you will negotiate with that name and you accept it and you signed it with the interim agreement, then it is very difficult to come up and say that you will not change it, that practically you are not, um, uh, how do you say, yeah, that uh, you are not honoring your signature. So I'm sure that the leadership in uh, FIROM will uh, also think about that, think about the stability in, in the future, think about the relations with Greece. I think we know that we are a very important economical uh, partner for FIROM. We, we know that uh, FIROM can count on us for any help which is needed. And I think that we can find a mutual accepted name. This is what I believe. In responding to the answer, do we have, uh, do, are we afraid? No, we are not afraid. But I, I said it also in, our in my speech before, the problems in the Balkans have to be solved. We cannot overcome them. We cannot just pretend that they are not there. This is my point of view also when I'm talking about Kosovo, about Serbia, about Bosnia-Herzegovina. You don't cover the problems because the Balkans have a very bad habit. They never forget them. They always come back to you. And if you don't solve them, you will find them in the future bigger in front of you. So we have to try to solve them. And this is my answer. And I hope that uh, the leadership in uh, FIROM uh, will not uh, react for politically internal reasons, but will really think about it and react for the future and the stability for the whole region. Um, why, about the United States, why are you? Uh, why are the United States involved? Well, they are the biggest country uh, and the strongest country uh, in the world. They are uh, very important in NATO. Uh, they are, of course, involved uh, in a lot of problems. You may agree or disagree uh, with uh, their foreign policy, but it's absolutely sure that uh, Europe is also looking uh, to the United States uh, on many occasions. And now there is a very crucial question which one must answer. 
what do we really want, we Europeans, from the United States? Do we want them as the international police stepping in whenever they are asked? Do we see them as real allies or do we see them as antagonists? The very uh, bland truth is that if we Europeans really want to look at, to the Americans eye to eye, then we have to pay the price of another defense policy. And this is, I think, in my mind, quite clear. We have, Europe has a possibility there. We have to build up this defense policy. We have to be more present. That's why Greece is asking always for more Europe and a stronger Europe because we strongly believe that in a strong Europe there will be a strong Greece, but we also strongly believe that the European soft power can be very, very important for international peace and stability. Thank you. Let's take another round. The lady here, please. Uh, hi, my name is Nick Lambropoulos. I, I was born in ancient Olympia. Uh, <laughs> this is not common. So, uh, it's I still one of the most wonderful places uh, in the world. Yeah, it's, okay. Depends. Especially when you ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> I will get to that point. Um, I, I, I will actually step on your comment for a bottom-up approach and um, uh, the Athenian democracy. And I will ask your opinion about the distributed democracy. Um, both for Greece and Europe, which means the involvement of the citizens in decision-making. Okay, thank you. Uh, whilst we're here, could we take the gentleman here, please? Uh, Andrew Dismore, Member of Parliament. Uh, I was very pleased to hear you focus so much on climate change, and Greek policy seems to have moved on considerably since I raised the issue with Mr. Karamelis at this lecture when he, when he gave that lecture before. But the, the point I'd like to raise is this, that international action is very important, but domestic policy is equally important in tackling climate change. And when I raised the issue with Mr. Karamelis, I got the impression that it was going to be very difficult to convince the Greek people of the need to deal with the, action, deal with the climate change problem by adapting their own behaviour and convincing them that there was a very immediate problem that had to be dealt with by at the individual level as well as by domestic governments. And I'd really like to ask you what action the Greek government is taking to, high, to, to raise the consciousness of climate change with, with the Greek people and to change domestic policy to reflect what needs to be done. Okay. Um, the gentleman here, please. Uh, could you just wait for the microphone, please? Yes. Kiriako Chupras, Lando correspondent for the Cyprus Broadcasting Corporation and the Cyprus News Agency. By now, perhaps you know the question, Mrs. Pagoyanis. I might guess. <laughs> you are comment, if you may, on the strategic partnership agreement between the United Kingdom and Turkey. And Turkey. Uh, okay, the gentleman at the very back here, please. My name is uh, George Erilakis, and I'm a vascular surgeon at the Imperial College. Uh, I would like uh, to ask you, how do you explain that there has been so little help 
from the neighbors of Greece during the fires that destroyed 12% of all the Greek forests in August. As you know, Greece had help from Russia and uh, France, distant countries, but not so much from their neighbors. And my, uh, my next question is uh, why, uh, why there has been so much talk in the Greek newspapers uh, uh, just uh, about uh, the description and compensation of the problem, but not about prevention. Shouldn't be prevention be a focal point of how we can avoid such an extent uh, of a disaster in the next summers because the climate is not going to change. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Decision-making in a democracy. Uh, there are a lot of... There are a number of people, I think, and citizens around who start becoming less and less interested in democracy, and mainly in participation. And I think this is the biggest challenge which we have in front of us. We have to persuade this generation that it's worth to, to be involved in a democratic procedure, that it's you cannot be, that's why I mentioned uh, um, Pericles' speech, that if you, if you yourself are not involved, somebody else will make the decision, and this somebody else uh, is a problem in itself, because then it becomes either an economic, uh, um, uh, economic uh, structures, decision, or whatever. So we have to get the people more and more involved. Uh, which is the way? Is it uh, the way to ask them more than we are doing until now uh, and see them not participating? Uh, it is a question which is open, and we need to uh, discuss it very much if we really want to keep uh, democracies in Europe alive. For the European Union, we have decided that we need much more involvement of the citizens themselves. And of course, um, making them understand what we are talking about. For in Europe, unfortunately, the Brussels has become something very far away from the citizens uh, speaking a language which nobody understands, uh, the so-called European junk, uh, which needs translation, and the citizens just feel that they don't have anything to do with it. So now there, we must make a much bigger effort than we are doing until now. And I think it will be critical for the next five to ten years for how democracy will work. Climate change. The Greeks uh, understood climate change in a very, very brutal way. Uh, if there was no conscience until last year, there is conscience now. Because now they, they, they saw the catastrophe. And it was a very big catastrophe. And they understood that they cannot just uh, uh, go on as if nothing happened. Now, uh, I don't think that Mr. Karamanlis needs to make a great effort for that. What the government has to make a great effort for is to, to bring up all these policies which are needed uh, uh, in Greece. And there, to be quite honest, we were not one of the best in the European Union. I might easily say that we were probably one of the last. So this is the main problem, that we are working now 
uh, we are uh, making a lot of, uh, we are having a lot of new policies. We are using, we are trying to use um, e-energy much more than we did uh, until now. The programs are uh, starting, uh, and I hope that uh, we will meet the goals which uh, um, we are obliged to and we uh, accept it also in the European Union. Why aren't we talking about prevention? We are talking about prevention. The problem is that we know we are working with the French on prevention. We are working uh, with the Germans on prevention. The French are probably the best today for forest uh, uh, prevention of fires, etc. And we are doing a lot of programs with them together uh, so that we also prepare our, uh, our fire people in a different way. We are having, uh, we made an agreement in the European Union that all the Mediterranean countries will have a common, uh, also common exercises and work together to face um, this kind of fires because we know either we prevent it or not, we will have fires in the next years. This is the bad news. That it, it, it will be, unfortunately, uh, uh, it's, uh, um, all the studies show it, that uh, we will not be able to prevent them completely. So we need to be ready to face them. Uh, you asked about our neighbors. It's not true. They sent everything they had. This is the truth. That we, had, we had the help. If you really uh, were in my position during the fires, and I, I, I really don't wish it for anybody, uh, trying to contact all Europe, all our neighbors, everybody to help us. Uh, but on the other side, being able to see how much help we got. And we got from everybody whatever they had. Slovenia sent uh, an airport. Bulgaria sent Serbia sent seven small uh, air fighters. Firem sent us uh, two cars with uh, 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 with people uh, helping us fight uh, the fire and we did the same thing when they had the fire. Everybody helped us. So we are really grateful for that because it was very important. The last the Cyprus question. Well, I think that um, uh, the British government uh, made their uh, head two uh, parts in this agreement which uh, gave us a lot of concern. And the, it is very important that, uh, and I will have the opportunity also tomorrow to speak with my British colleague, uh, it is very important that we agree uh, on the goal on Cyprus. And the goal for Cyprus is the reunification of the island, is not the strengthening of the Turkish Cypriot uh, uh, side in a way that they probably get far away from the Greek-Turkish side. And it is very important that we stick to our agreements. And these are Security Council agreements, and this is a common policy. And it is also a common European policy. So I hope that it is a misunderstanding what happened. Thank you. Um, the lady here, please, the front. 
Minister Bakoyanis, my name is Ilva Tara, I'm an LSE student. According to Greek newspapers, you have intervened to postpone, to cancel actually a visit of Greek president in Tirana. And you postponed, uh, according to Greek newspaper, you postponed the trip last uh, week because of the delicate state uh, of relation between Tirana and Athens. Is it true or not? And they also say that um, this situation is in regard of charm uh, issue. Don't you think it's time to acknowledge that problem and to give a solution for it? And secondly, while uh, great powers of uh, European Union are about to acknowledge and to recognize the independence of Kosovo, why you are opposing it? Thank you. Hi, you asked me five questions at one. But let me, I took advantage. Uh, let me just say that I don't know if the Greek newspapers wrote about the President of the Republic's visit that I tried to postpone it. It's not true. And I'm sorry that my press office has not told them so that I, I could uh, say it. Uh, why should they postpone uh, the president's uh, visit to, to Athens? Greece and Albania have very good relations. And I'm due to have a visit in, uh, in Albania. And that's uh, probably going to be arranged uh, sometime, I hope, before Christmas. Uh, we, will, uh, we, are, we have a lot of uh, common uh, policies which we want uh, to agree. There are uh, things which we uh, want to, uh, papers which we want to sign. On Kosovo uh, there is one European policy on Kosovo and this is the policy I just mentioned in my speech. We agreed that we have to give the Troika a real chance and a real chance means that we need a, a solution in which Kosovo can really live also with having a neighbor which is called Serbia and that you cannot humiliate uh, a big country like Serbia and believe that you will have stability in the Balkans. And on the other side, I believe that the Kosovars have to live as neighbors with the Serbs and will have to live with them forever. So it is very important that we find a solution to these problems. Uh, about uh, the problem of uh, the Tams, I don't want to go into it. You know that this is an historic, um, uh, an historic uh, problem. It has been dealt with many times, so I don't think that there is an issue there. If anybody believes that he has a case, then he goes to Greek court and uh, asks um, for what he believes that he is due. Thank you. Okay. Uh, the lady at the front, please. Um, I'm a student at, in the London School of Economics. Uh, you seem to deny the validity of the interim agreement on the basis of the alleged failure of, the, of your northern board, of your northern neighbor to comply with the terms of the agreement. However, I would like to uh, I would like to remind you of a few facts that Greece put an embargo on the northern neighbor. Then the we would change the flag, and then uh, there were several compromises made on, uh, our, on, on our part. However, the Greek stance has not changed since the beginning. Uh, it ha in in uh, its essence, it, it hasn't really changed. So I'm sure you're aware of this, but I'm also sure you're aware that questioning identities on the Balkans and questioning uh, also means questioning the stability of the Balkans and putting this into uh, turbulence. So um, 
so I'm, I was just wondering whether, uh, whether, uh, whether you, you would be able to put some Aristotelian moderation into this dialogue, into this debate, by giving us a share in a common history in order to uh, allow for some more security, to, in order to protect the security which you seem to, uh, which you seem to uh, argue for in the Balkans. Okay. Let me answer that. Okay. Look, first, I fully understand your feelings. You must also, I think, try to understand ours. That's exactly the meaning of trying to find a mutual accepted solution. You can read history as you want. And you can also have laws which do not allow people to look into your history, which is the truth. You are probably the only country in the world. Why? We can have many readings of history. We can also go out and ask anybody in Piccadilly Square who Alexander the Great was. And we will probably get the same answer. So it is difficult to talk about history. And I won't, I won't even mention that. I didn't mention it in my speech. I didn't mention history. I didn't mention Alexander the Great. I didn't mention uh, the... What I understand is that you that this country has to build its identity around the name. We Greeks don't have to build our identity. We have one. And I, you also <laughs> have one. You also have one. You don't need to look for it in the past. You have your own identity today and tomorrow. You are a country, you want to be member of the European Union. You want to be member of NATO. Look in the future. This is your future. Why should you look in the past? Why should you look in the problems of yesterday? So what are we saying? We are saying, come on, let's sit down. Let's find a, a name which would make the difference between your Macedonia, as you call it, and our Macedonia. It's very simple. Why, should you, why are you afraid of that? I mean, we are not looking in the past. And believe me, we Greeks love to do that. But you must understand it. You must understand that the future is at stake. This future, we have to build it together in the Balkans. And that's why I'm not responding to any kind of provocative uh, 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 statements. <laughs> Why is Greece not responding, do you think? We are not responding because we believe that we can build this future. And we will not, uh, uh, we will not, uh, we will keep up these efforts. We believe that we can build it. We believe that countries have to have good neighborly relations. We have proven that 20,000 people in Firem live buy Greek money today. They have, they, they are, we are the, the biggest investors in the region. It can be even bigger. The future of Firem is a future which needs good neighborly relations, and we Greeks need it also. That's why we are trying. And it does not help in having you know, just statements made.
you need to have a will. And you want, I will tell you one, uh, one thing more. There is a great change in this government because the Greek position was from the very first moment that the name Macedonia has, had not to be part of this country's name. Well, that was the Greek position. And the, your position was, we want to be the Republic of Macedonia. Okay? That was the two starting positions. What did we say? Let's meet in the middle. We moved our way, our, our part of the way. Well, we are, make, we are hoping that uh, the Scorpion government will move its part of the way. Okay, we have time for two more questions. The gentleman here, please. Fragiscos Filippos, Hellenic Observatory. I'm touching upon what you've just said about building, and Greece is one of the biggest investors in the region. Is there actually a role for economic diplomacy in solving problems with our neighbors? Thank you. The gentleman here, please. Oh, you did. Uh, okay. Thank you. Um, Simon Tisdall from The Guardian. Um, if I may press you on Kosovo, um, you've said a couple of times that this uh, question demands a European answer. But the United States is preparing to recognize the independence of Kosovo, whether Serbia likes it or not, and Britain and France will certainly follow suit, maybe other European countries. So how is Greece going to deal with this reality? Thank you. Okay, and the, the last final, possibly the final, final question uh, is from the lady here who put the question so modestly. Thank you. Um, rumor has it that uh, you would make the ideal prime minister to boost up Greece both for the internal and foreign issues. What are your, view, your comments on this viewpoint and do you believe there is room for a female prime minister in the current male-dominated uh, environment in Greece? <laughs> You can tell that I didn't range the questions, but what a final question to ask. <laughs> well, let me start by this question. It's the <laughs> easiest one. Greece has a very good prime minister. Kostas Karamanlis is a young and uh, very uh, successful prime minister. And so for the moment, there is uh, no question for that. If a male-dominated society can stand a woman prime minister, we don't know for the moment. They have never been tested. Uh, but uh, I think uh, that yes, after a while they don't see you as a woman or a man. They see you and they judge you if you are able or not. So the, probably I think so that also Greece uh, could have it. But for the moment there are only males candidating. Even in PASOK there is no woman candidating today. Excuse me, so, th excuse me, three times you said for the moment. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Kevin, I am politically correct. <laughs> and you know that. Um, now, economic diplomacy, economic diplomacy becomes more and more um, uh, important. And for us, it becomes one of our tools for foreign policy. And not only in our region, but also elsewhere. It's very important because 
to be very honest, businessmen are first before us politicians. They arrive first and then we follow most of the time. And so what we are doing now is uh, changing also the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to, to be more uh, helpful at economic diplomacy and make it uh, one of the con, uh, con stores of our policy. Now, Kosovo, you asked a very important question. If the United States unilaterally, uh, if Kosovo declares independence, and if the United States unilaterally uh, recognize them, and if Britain and France follows them, what will happen? Well, let me tell you openly, I believe that we have to have one common European policy, and this is very important. The worst case for Kosovo, for the region, which could happen is if the European Union would split on the Kosovo issue. Because the Americans are far away, but we are in the region. So it is very important that whatever uh, will be decided will be decided by all the European Union and not unilateral recognitions and then the problem will be and the ball will be uh, in the region to handle. We need a common policy and if I'm correct, I believe that most, most of the European countries see it the same way. So this, will be, this is a decision which will be made. It is not made for the moment. We will wait for the Troika. We will see what will happen if there is any margin for them to come closer. We need a common European policy with Serbia, with Kosovo, and with Bosnia-Herzegovina very soon. So the region is not an easy region to deal with. So if we have one strong point is our um, sticking together. Hmm. Okay. Our other phenomenon friend. I'll try to speak 21st century language and ask you that uh, in every occasion, and even tonight, you, you've repeated that uh, Greece is committed to working towards uh, uh, improvement of the security in the Balkans. I, I would like you to explain us how a possible veto to Macedonia's entrance to NATO will, uh, will contribute towards, that, uh, towards more secure Balkans. Thank you. Because we believe that the solution gives the security, that the solution is needed for the stability of the region, that good neighborly relationship is needed for the stability of the region, and that just participation and alliance cannot uh, uh, overlook the real differences which exist, and that we don't believe that good neighborly relations exist when one party does not honor the agreements which are made. Okay, thank you. I'm afraid we must bring matters to a conclusion. Let me just uh, point out that the lecture has been um, recorded. It will be available as a podcast. Uh, some of you will understand that term better than I do. <laughs> it will also be available as a text on the website of the Hellenic Observatory. Now, some of you here have uh, tickets for the reception, which is going to take place in the atrium 
and that is to the left of the lecture theatre as you leave uh, this evening. But before we finish, let me, on your behalf, and more particularly on behalf of the Hellenic Observatory, thank very much indeed our speaker this evening for an excellent talk and her response to the questions. Thank you. I'm sorry, I've forgotten. I've got a little note here that I'm, uh, for security reasons, I'm asked to uh, request that you stay in your seat whilst Mrs. Bracianis leaves the auditorium. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs>